Welcome to the C3 Church podcast. Here at church, we are passionate about people and helping them in their walk with God. We hope this Sunday message speaks to you today. Hey, good to be here today. I love that. I always such a privilege being up on stage because I get to see your smiley faces, which is really lovely. I get to see people I've not seen before, people I haven't seen in a while. Uh, And thank you for those joining in Colchester. Let's give them a cheer. Hey, I'm sure all they're smiley. Those who are watching in Barry St. Edmunds, yay! Our friends in the prison who are tuning in as well, let's give them a hoop hoop, whoop whoop. Very good. And maybe you're coming here to the Cambridge location for the 5.30 service. Thank you for making the journey. Great to see you. So I just first of all want to say thank you, Pastor Steve Campbell and Andrew Campbell as well, for inviting me and trusting me with the next kind of 25 minutes to share as part of this series. You can wipe that nervous look on your face now. There we go. No, <laughs> I'm only joking. But I am really excited about being here today, not only speaking on this, but at our next service today, I'm also going to be dedicating uh, my youngest daughter, Ornella. So today is a big day. I've got family, I've got friends coming here, and it's a public declaration, really, for my husband and I to say we are dedicating ourselves to raising our daughter to pursue the teachings of Christ. And so this is why I love this series, Jesus Never Said, because as we commit ourselves to saying, yes, we want to raise a family that loves Jesus, that follows his way, it's so important that we know what on earth that way is, what on earth did Jesus actually say. Today we're talking then at Jesus Never Said, create a version of me that suits you. Again, it's so important that my husband and I, and for the rest of you, know what it is that Jesus said so that we can walk in his way, particularly if we say that we are a follower of Christ. Now, why is this so important? Jesus is the most contentious figure in all of human history, every society. He is the most loved and adored and worshipped and also the most despised and mocked and rejected individual. He's been used as a symbol of peace, as a symbol of acceptance and love, but also as a symbol of war and intolerance and hatred. People use Jesus for their military campaigns. People use him as a symbol of whatever it is maybe that's going on in culture. In fact, we can't even decide what Jesus actually physically looked like, let alone his characteristics. So here's some wonderful image I want to show you. Here we go. Is this Jesus? He's pretty cool. It looks pretty peaceable. I like it. Is this one Jesus? This is um, for a Jesus Christ superstar at a university played by a white female. Is that Jesus? Did Jesus even exist? Maybe he was a she and she was a he and... What about this one? This is an AI-generated image. I love it. He looks so bold and friendly, but I don't know if he's advertising kind of Colgate because his teeth look wonderful. I mean, we know he was miraculous, but there we go. Oh, this one has a special place in my heart because little baby Jesus looks very much like my oldest daughter here. Very nice. What about this one? An early image of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead with his rod or his magic wand. Surely that one must be the real Jesus. Who is Jesus? We can't even decide on what he looked like. He can't be both, you know, Rastafarian and also this cherub little girl kind of Jesus. Can he? Can he be from a L'Oreal advert as well as Balding? Who is the real Jesus? In fact, does it even matter? Does Jesus just say, I am, you know, the opium for the masses, quoting Karl Marx, saying, you know, consume me, have a bit of me, and I'll fix all your problems. It's a bit like taking a pill, popping a pill. What about this? Is Jesus simply a projection of our need for an authority figure? That's what Freud, the psychoanalyst, would say. 
Who is Jesus? And do we create him in our image? In fact, many of those pictures say more about us as a society, maybe than the real historical person of Jesus. And I want to say these questions matter. I think it's brilliant that we're asking ourselves, who is Jesus? What did he really say? What was he really like? Did he exist? And so we're going to be going through John's Gospel, especially today. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 16, if you've got your Bible. Uh, if you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, I encourage you to get on it, because I want you to use this morning's message as a springboard for you to look into some of the stuff that I'm saying. I've got every bit of scripture that I'm quoting in there for you to look at, for you to go through. I've got questions for you to ask yourself, and I've got some resources as well if you want to look into some of this a bit more. The fact is, Jesus knows that people make versions of him to suit him. It's nothing new. In fact, when Jesus was alive on the earth, physically walking around 2,000 years ago, he knew that people were building versions of him to suit him. And he actually confronts this. He's heard the rumors that some people have said, ah, yes, he must be uh, the fulfillment of prophetic stuff from thousands of years ago. And he has come into human history to throw down the Romans so that we can have Jerusalem as our place again. He's going to be a political, powerful, military leader. Jesus has heard the rumors that some people are exercising demons in the name of him, even though they've never met him. Jesus knows some of the rumors about people who build a ministry out of selfish ambition and gain and money. And so Jesus tackles this head on, Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Well, they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, maybe one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replies, ding, 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 right you are, you've got it. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So Jesus has heard the rumors. People are making versions of him that they want him to be. Some people say, we want a Jeremiah kind of, kind of prophet who, who spoke into the national affairs and stood up for social justice. So maybe Jesus is like Jeremiah. Maybe he is Jeremiah. Maybe Jesus is going to be like an Elijah, and he's going to call down fire from heaven and annihilate the powers that be. Maybe he's going to be John the Baptist. Now, for as many people back then who saw Jesus in the flesh and thought, this must be a prophet like John the Baptist or Jeremiah, there were as many other people who thought Jesus is simply psychologically delusional. In fact, John 10 says there was again a great division among some of the Jewish people because of the words that Jesus was speaking. Many of them said, he's got a demon and he is mad. Why listen to him? I love that. He's <laughs> mad. What an interesting, not polite way of saying it. Because they've heard the words of Jesus and they think the only conclusion we can arrive on is this guy has lost his mind. In fact, Jesus' own half-biological brothers come to him in both John's Gospel and Mark's Gospel. Chapter 3 says this, when his family heard him talking, they went to take charge of him, but they said he is out of his mind. It's a bit like the Britney Spears conservative ship. The family see Jesus talking, they think, well, family intervention, family intervention, he's finally lost it, we need to take control of the situation, damage limitation. People thought that Jesus was psychologically unwell. 
his own brothers, flesh and blood. In fact, the belief that Jesus was mentally unwell was a really popular belief in the 19th, 20th century with the rise of psychoanalysis, psychiatry. And to quote uh, one psychiatrist, a man called Jan, he says this, Jesus in the Gospels displays, I'm going to put my best psychiatrist voice on, an increased sense of his own power and superiority over others, egocentricism, and the tendency to subjugate other people. He also had difficulties communicating with the outside world and disassociative identity disorder with suicidal tendencies and may have sought death on the cross through suicide by proxy. You'd pay £500 for that written report and golden signature on the end of that. But such was the belief that, hey, if we are to really take the Jesus in the Gospels at face value, woof, what is going on here? And so when Jesus turns and he says to Peter in Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? You can imagine Peter and the disciples thinking, oh, here we go, okay, uh, well, your family has kind of disowned you a little bit, and um, they think you're mentally unwell, but we'll go with the prophets. Yeah, you're really eccentric. They think you're like Jeremiah, John the Baptist. And what's really interesting is that we know from the book of Acts, after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension, Jesus' biological family are found worshipping the risen Jesus. What a switch, what a change to occur. It's like his family have suddenly realized, you know what? Jesus isn't the version that we thought he was. In fact, we truly believe the claims that he made for himself, and we're willing to die for these things. A change happened. Now, in reality, I do have some sympathy with the belief then that Jesus was a bit psychologically unwell, because actually the audacious, bold statements that Jesus makes are so provocative. And some of the stuff that Jesus says just simply does not suit people. John chapter 6, it says that when many of Jesus' disciples, so people who've been hanging out with him for a while, they know him, they said, oh, this is a hard saying of Jesus. Who can listen to it? And Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about the stuff that he was saying, said to them, do you take offense at this? In other words, Jesus is saying, some of what I'm saying is not going to suit you. You're going to find it offensive. I love how C.S. Lewis quotes that when Jesus came, nobody came with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He'd not left that open to them, and he didn't intend to. This means that in the statements of Jesus and in the, present, the way that he presents himself, there is little wiggle room for us to recreate Jesus the way that we want him to be to suit us unless we directly contradict some of the historically accurate things that he said. We can't make mistake his identity. He's not left that for us to do. We can't put words into his mouth or put him to be somebody that we want him to be. And I love this idea of this kind of mistaken identity. There was a recent example of this back in 2006, and it's hit the headlines again, so some of you may know what I'm about to say. But in 2006, Guy Goma, he was a Congolese man. He's a business and economics graduate. He arrived at the BBC. He goes to reception. He's there to interview for a job as an IT specialist. Now, at the same time, classic case of mistaken identity, there was the producer of BBC News 24. He goes to the wrong reception in the building, and he meets Guy, and he says, hey, are you Guy? You're in a business suit. You're here to talk about IT, aren't you, and technology and stuff. And Guy thinks, oh, okay, here we go. And this is what happens next. Here we go. 
industry and the growth of music online. Well, Guy Cuny is the editor of the technology website uh, News Wireless. <laughs> Hello, good morning to you. Good morning. Were you surprised by this uh, verdict today? I'm very surprised to see <laughs> this verdict to, to come on me because I was not expecting that. When I came, uh, they told me something else and I'm coming. You got an idea for that, so it's a big surprise anyway. <laughs> I just want to watch that again, because you can just see the penny dropped, can't you? As soon as he, the lady says, ah, you're Guy Cunin. He says, oh, no, I'm Guy Goma. I'm very surprised that I'm here. Now, what he does is he then kind of goes and bluffs uh, his way through this uh, expert witness. He's supposed to be talking about like a technological lawsuit that was happening with a big technological company. And I just love that moment of mistaken identity. No matter how much the producer or the interviewer or probably even Guy Gomer in that moment wanted to be Guy Cooney and know what he was talking about, you know, he wasn't him. They could mic him up, they could make him look the part, they could project onto him, no, but this is you, you can talk about this stuff. He just wasn't that person. Now imagine if we could make Jesus less opinionated about our finances, our family relationships, our sexual ethics. Imagine if we could do it from a really good place in our heart and say, Jesus, I just need you to be relevant for today. I need you to be palatable to my friends. I need you to be Guy Cooney, less of Guy Goma in this moment. But you know what? Jesus is just not going to go along with it. There's a great story, John chapter 6, verse 14. It says, when the people saw the signs, the miraculous signs that Jesus was doing, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. They're building up an image of what Jesus must be like to suit them and their, where they're at at that moment. Now, Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, what did Jesus do? He withdrew to go up a mountain by himself. You want me to be Guy Gukuma? You want me to be John the Baptist or this military leader? You want to put me up on a throne in the center of Jerusalem? And you know what? I, I'm not going to go along with the version of me that suits you. And in fact, he flees from it. He runs up a mountain. It's so dramatic. You can imagine him kind of lifting up the hem of his you know, outfit and kind of sprinting away from it. Jesus doesn't say, you know what? Well, if you need me to be that for you, then you know, put my name in your political banner, print off a picture of my face and a pin badge, you know. He doesn't do that. He runs away from these versions that we have that are not based on who he really is. And so when Jesus turns to Peter then in Matthew 16 and says, who do you say I am? He's saying, you know what? Don't piggyback off the rumors and what other people say about me. Who do you say I am? Jesus says, yes, your family thinks I have delusional disorder. Maybe that I'm part of a cult. Maybe your grandmother thinks I didn't even exist. Maybe you grew up in a church school and you thought, ah, oh, baby Jesus, no crying he made. He was a very weird little baby, Icelandic blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, and he exists to be my cheerleader. Boop. Yes, you know, that Christian in your office taught you that all Christians are a bit hypocritical, do-gooders. What about this one? Yes, you've heard that Stephen Fry said, why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? Jesus is aware of these versions of him. And I just want to say to that last point that thousands, millions of Christians from every nation, every culture, every time throughout human history would probably disagree with that claim that Stephen Fry made because they have this personal revelation and friendship with who Jesus is. And so Jesus says, stop piggy and backing off of other people's beliefs about me, versions of me that suit them, 
Who do you say that I am? And this is why Jesus affirms Peter's answer there when Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In other words, I believe all the claims that you have made about yourself. They're not easy to believe, perhaps. Sometimes I don't really understand them, but I believe that you are who you say you are. And Jesus kind of applauds him. And he says, you know what, you've not arrived at this through flesh and blood, just from looking around, hearing the rumors. You've had this personal insight, revelation, that is kind of this supernatural experience that you've had. You know who I truly am. And Jesus wants all of us to arrive at a personal knowledge of the real him. Throughout the Gospel of John, I encourage you to read it if you haven't done John uses the word signs instead of miracles because when Jesus does stuff, it signposts to who he is as a person, to something about his character, the reality of who he is. And then the whole book, the Gospel of John, is structured around seven I am statements or declarations that Jesus is making. Here they are. Each one of these is backed up then with evidence, a story, a testimony that says that this stuff is true. They're short statements, because Jesus knows if I talk in short statements, people can't misinterpret them. They can't forget them. They're going to be remembered. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus isn't saying, I am a way. I am a life. I am one of truth, you know, one of many truths. He is claiming a monopoly on how to get to God and how to have eternal life. It's not just about being a good person or learning through each kind of trial and event that happens. It's not about hashtag be kind. It is about coming to Jesus. Now, before you kind of get all technical with me about the definite article in the Greek for the, you know, maybe it could mean a, Jesus then also says, hey, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He talks about pictures of sheep and they come in through a gate and they have grass and it's life and life to the full. We can't mistake what Jesus is saying. We might say, yeah, but you can get life elsewhere. The grass isn't always greener. And Jesus says again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Okay, I see what you're doing, Jesus. Ah, yeah, but it's not always black and white, is it? There's a lot of twilight, a lot of gray zone. Jesus says, John 10, I am the son of God. No wonder people, when they heard him, thought he was out of his mind. They thought, well, he must be an eccentric prophet. Or they wanted to kill him and they wanted to stone him. Because the statements that Jesus is making are so audacious. But they're also personal. Jesus doesn't just say, I claim to know the way or I have the truth or I I point to life. Jesus says, I am truth. I am the life. I am the way. Therefore, truth isn't just about information. It's about relationship. This makes some of the stuff that Jesus is saying so much more interesting because he's saying, hey, you want to know truth? Who am I really? Well, then you need to know me personally. You need to know me personally. So how do we do this? How do we then arrive at a real version of Jesus? Well, I don't want to say, how do you get to know anybody in relationship, in friendship? How do you get to know anybody? You spend time with them. You talk to them. You talk to people who know them. You hang out in community with that person. You ask them questions. You listen to their response. Maybe you read some things about them, their manifesto or their biography or their Facebook posts. You get to know the person. Really personally at the moment, you know, my daughter, who I'm dedicating this morning, is 10 months old. How do we get to know Jesus and pursue a friendship with him? 
the real him when you're sleep deprived, you've got screaming babies, you've got never-ending washing, you're there up before you do. How, do you. how do you get to know Jesus when it's really hard to pick up the Bible and make time to kind of say, yes, I'm going to get to know you, I'm going to read this stuff? What about if you don't read? What happens if you don't like reading and you think, oh, I just don't understand how to get into the Bible? How do I get to know Jesus? About 13 years ago, I was in a really rural community um, in Central Africa. And I met some incredible followers of Jesus there who had only recently had a Bible translated into their local language. Some of them couldn't read it. And yet they had a greater personal revelation of who Jesus really was than many of the academics and professors that I have sat under at some of the world's top universities. They would sing songs about the truth of who Jesus was. They would pray and talk to him. They would see him at work in their lives. They would listen to the community's testimonies of all that Jesus had been doing. They had a great personal revelation of who Jesus Christ was. Getting to know Jesus isn't an intellectual activity. It's a friendship. It's a relationship. And because of that, Jesus understands your situation. He's got grace for it. Oh, yeah, I know you've had a hard week, haven't you? Well, I'm so glad that you're talking to me now. Oh, my goodness, he's so gracious to us. Friendship, relationship with God is not a tick list. It's not a ah, performance-driven, you know, performance-based review. It's saying, no, 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 I love hanging out with you. We get to do it. And so I want to encourage you, how do you get to know the real Jesus? You come in community. You're with people who know Jesus. You share your life. What is Jesus saying to you? Where is he challenging you? Where are you at? You try and you listen, you know, on your car and to work. Try listening to the Bible, audiobooks. Listen to preach. Sing songs that declare the truth of who Jesus is. Thank you, Byron, for leading this morning's worship. We declare who Jesus is. I reorient my heart about who you really are. In Matthew 16, then, when Jesus says to Peter, who do you say I am? Peter gets it right. And then I love how Jesus twists it. He then says, okay, you know who I am, and now I'm going to tell you who you are. Because there's something about friendship with Jesus that is two-way. When we know who he is, he tells us who we are. He shapes us. We become like the person that we hang out with. What we believe about Jesus, about God, really matters because it shapes the way that we are towards ourselves. For example, if you are a follower of God, but you believe that Jesus is a bit punitive, he's critical, you can never quite get it right, then what's that going to generate in you? Perfectionism, performance-based religion. Ah, but if I'm always trying to do the right thing, then, you know, I'll be approved of. Who do you say that I am? If we believe that Jesus came for a broken world, to love the people that society rejected, to love the people that could never quite get it right, to transform us, then the way that we are towards ourselves is going to be radically different. We're going to treat ourselves with grace and kindness and compassion. We're not going to hide away in shame in the shadows, never quite getting it right. We're going to extend that to the world around us, full of grace and patience, because my goodness, is he patience towards us. Jesus says to you this morning, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? 
What version of Jesus do you have in your mind? Do you know him personally? Before we go into a time of worship again, I just want to invite all of us. The Gospel of John has this repeated line, come and see, come and see. And that invite still stands, come and see who Jesus is. Be a follower of Jesus, come and see, come and see. Who do you say he is? And so there's something in this for all of us. Maybe we've been a follower for a long time, but we realize, you know what, there's something about my relationship with Jesus that's just not based in reality. I can't find scriptural justification for the way that I think that Jesus is. And so today, maybe it's about reorienting your heart towards the greater reality of who Jesus is. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've said, you know what, I've never followed Jesus. But today, I want to look into this. I want to look at who Jesus says that he is. Not based on my family or culture or friends or podcasts. But I'm going to listen to Jesus and I'm going to investigate that. And if that is you for the first time or by way of saying, yes, I'm going to do this again today. I'm going to lead us in a prayer that we're all going to pray. And then afterwards, if you have done that first time or by way of recommitting yourself, I'd love it if you put your hand in the air. And we're going to give you a Bible. We're going to resource you to do this. We'd love to get you into community, do conversation with you. Even if you have 100 Bibles at home, this is a way of marking the moment and saying, yes, Jesus, I want to get to know you. Would you all stand with me? We're all going to respond. Would you say after me, Jesus, I thank you for your life. I thank you for your offer of friendship. I don't know everything, but I want to know you more and more. Today I choose to follow you, to pursue your claims, to pursue personal friendship with you, Jesus. Forgive me for the stuff that gets in the way of the real person you are. Help me, Jesus. Know you. Thank you for listening to the C3 podcast. This message has spoken to you today in some way. We would love to know. Reach out to us at hello at the C3.uk. And if you want to extend the reach of what we do here, why not consider giving by going to thec3.uk forward slash giving. And as always, subscribe to our channel and share this episode with a friend. We hope to see you soon.